Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports, episode 102. Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. They have to have the three E's, energy, enthusiasm, and the most important one, empathy. A team player plays his position well, minds his own business, celebrates other players' success, and is empathetic to make sure that everyone on the team is being treated fairly. Okay, Who Are You Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, John McCarthy. John, are you ready to put your game face on and join our team? Bring it. Let's get started. John, please take a moment and introduce yourself to Who Are You Nation. Thanks for having me, Robbie. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to be on Who Are You Nation. I love the podcast. I'm a fan, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank what you. I'm working on right now is our programs. We have Saturday and Sunday classes for in Washington, D.C., and New York, kids from all economic areas. And we're trying to run good programs. Our secret sauce is high volume. Most baseball coaches over-teach under volume. We try to get every player in an hour practice 150 uh, points of contact, a hit, a throw, a catch, a ground, or a fly ball. The best teachers of youth sports, in my opinion, in the world are women's tennis coaches because they, get, they, take, young, they take girls at, at you know, 6, 7, and 8 and get them playing world-class tennis, and that's why girls at 14 can be in the U.S. Open. It's unheard of that a boy at 14 would be play even high school baseball almost, or college, definitely college baseball. But girls at 14 can be world-class tennis players. And so that's what we're trying to work on, getting our volume and our, uh, down to a science and getting our practices high energy, high motivation, and with an eye on safety and uh, great, great sportsmanship and energy. That's great. And, John, I'm curious. It sounds like pursuing your dream as a walk-on baseball player, which fits right into that energy I'm hearing in your voice. There were a lot of universities and colleges and, and, and junior uh, colleges. Walk us through that period right there. Yeah, I was, a like many, you know, the 78,000 high schools in America, and there's, you know, several hundred good college baseball programs. So the, the sheer math of it is difficult. Like a lot of kids, like a lot of high school students, you know, my, my talents were um, overlooked, and I was a late bloomer. But the antidote for that is uh, practical idealism, practice, 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 and put yourself in a position where you can display your talents and hopefully the marketplace will respond. And in my case, you know, I wrote letters to the top 25 colleges in America saying I'd like to come play for you. And South Alabama at that time was in the top 20, and their, their um, coach wrote back and said we have walk-on tryout. You're welcome to come walk on. And I'm such an optimist, I translated that into this guy wants me to come down there and play for him. So I was fortunate to make the team as a walk-on. I developed, I practiced my tail off, and I kept my mouth shut, my ears open, and I was fortunate to get an opportunity to play, and things worked out for me. But my message to any young high school ball player out there is uh, double down on practice, double down on fitness, double down on sobriety, and put your faith in the marketplace that your skills will be met with an opportunity. And that takes a lot of faith and patience. But if you're a high school, if you're a serious high school ball player 
and you're put, and you're practicing with an eye on proficiency and, and be, first of all recognizing what am I good at and what am I not good at. Many high school players aren't even aware of what their their, their particular skills are, and uh, focus on that and say I'm not going to give up until I've done the very best I can to become the best I'm capable of becoming, as John Wooden would say. John Wooden, a legend. Johnny, we have just started this interview, and already I am hearing so many life lessons. Persistence, double down, which means going the extra extra mile, faith in yourself. Persistence is one of those things that you said, you know, I can tell. You said, hey, listen, I'm going to go walk onto that school, top 25, bring it on. I love the energy behind that, and that's going to move nicely right into our next little segment here, which is, John, I need to officially have you put your game face on and get this interview. You underway. I need a motivational quote and how it applies to you and your current life. My Angelou said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And what I try to do every day in coaching is encourage, tell people they're doing great, tell people, hey, try, try a little more proficiency in this area. So in any given practice, I want to give a child 90 positive comments, nine technical corrections, and one potential constructive criticism in private. That's the ratio. Any other ratio doesn't work. I'm growing a baby tree in my backyard, and you just got to put for every 15 gallons of water in the little, when, you, when you feed it every day, every couple of days, you put in just a very little small amount of the fertilizer. It's the exact same. Children are overcorrected and overmanaged in our society, in my opinion. They need encouragement, opportunities to explore, technical feedback, and an occasional constructive criticism in private. I shout encouragement. I whisper corrections. Powerful. Powerful. I love the imagery of the, the, the tree growing in the background and the positivity yeah. that we have to, to, to shower our children with, and really anybody, whether you're working in an office space or trying out for a team or just simply having a good time at one of John's clinics. That is exactly, I agree 100%, John, and I can't, I can't say enough about what you just said there. So who are you, Nation? I hope you're taking notes right now. Positivity. Nine positive comments, right, John, out of ten? Yeah. Yeah, and most people go through the day, Rob, and, and you know, may, may may not get acknowledged. I mean, I tell my coaches, tell all the kids in your camp every day, I'm glad you're here, you're doing great, how can I help you, and make one technical correction. And finish it up with, if you have any problems, come see me. Every day you do those five things, and you'll bond with kids, and I'll say, finally an adult who gives me my emotional needs, technical needs, and makes me feel safe. And, of course, you have to walk the walk and be the person that you can set an example for these youngsters. The hardest thing about coaching is doing what you tell the kids to do. So true. So, John, we're going to take us back. Who are you, Nation listeners, are curious right now? You've given us so much information in such a short period of time. You're the spotlighted guest today on Who Are You? We're going to go back, and we're going to find out who the real John was and where it all started. Where did this Where did this motivation come from? What were your earliest and fondest memories of playing sports, either in the backyard or neighborhood, with your friends, family, siblings, simply just hanging out and having fun? Yeah, I had two brothers, one older, one younger, and we're just about a year, a year and a half apart. So we had a nice crew. We had our neighborhood friends. But playing uh, with my friends in our backyards, we have uh, six, seven guys, and we played football, baseball, basketball. And it was very joy-based. Nobody watched us. We worked out our problems. And I think that set the stage for a uh, a life of, of fitness and sports. 
the word recreation means to recreate. And if you're not a, a joy-based athlete as a child, it's very difficult as you get older to want to recreate that because you don't want to recreate an experience that wasn't joyful or meaningful. So I think as a little boy, I did so much of that. It made me want to continue as an adult. And it's interesting, as you say that, I know there's a lot of listeners out there, especially parents and coaches, who uh, completely relate and resonate with exactly what you're saying. And it's it's kind of one of those cliches of, well, back when I was growing up, today we, we seem to be a part of a society that is highly controlled. I know you've spoken about that when I've, when I've heard you speak. I mean, talk to me about the difference now between when you were growing up in the backyard there, you made your own rules to create, you were the own referee, you didn't need somebody to monitor monitor that and, and what it's like today. And I know we're going to generalize here, but I'd be curious on your take on that. Uh, I think it's better now. I think things are better. There's more kids playing new sports. There's more awareness. There's better people coaching. There's more be- there's a higher number of better coaches. Um, people communicate more clearly about what's best for children. The literacy of, of a boys and girls' emotional needs is higher. People are more aware of police background checks, what, what's expected for coaches. Um, you know, what, what happened 20, 30 years ago, uh, there were some things that were good about that, but that stage is over. Um, and, for instance, you know, here in Washington, there's, there's over probably 12 or 1,300 children playing Little League Baseball in 2013. You know, in 1983, 30 years ago, um, you know, there might have been three or 400 playing, maybe less. So it's better. And ultimately, the, what, what's on the table now is reality, and we've got to find a way to make the best of it. I think my, what I encourage parents to do is to allow the child to have his experience with that coach and, that t- and his teammates um, for him. And so try to, when you go to the game, ask the child at breakfast, would you like me to come to your game today? Don't take it for granted that you're going to go because – it's just the same way the parent might not want the child going to play golf with them with his friend, with the dad's friends or the mom playing tennis doesn't want the kids all watching them play tennis. It affects the social dynamic. And if you do get invited to go, and they'll probably invite you, you hope, you hope they will, you will say, uh, I'm going to watch you play, but I'm going to sit 100 yards away because I just want to watch. I don't want to get too close. I know that's your space to have your social time with your friends. Anytime you can hear what's going on in the, in the dugout or on the field, you're too close as a parent. Mm. Parents, I... You know, I'm sure there's a little controversy behind that, but I, John, I agree with you, and and it's all about kind of understanding your role, but also understanding what exactly the child and the makeup of the brain and, and what's happening in there and and, 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 and what's all about it, it, you know it, there's time for friends there's time for parents and there's time for both it's just understanding what the difference is so you sum that up really well most most studies have shown that children play youth sports for the social aspect to be with their friends they like hang out with their friends most parents think children play because it's quote fun and it's competitive mm. Mm. so the, the same game the parents and the children see it differently and, and if I may, John, I'm going to add on to that because I know it's our loving nature as parents. Hey, listen, I'm a parent now. I want the best for my kids, but we need to listen to more of statements like yours because I've been in those practices. I was I used to coach youth sports where literally dads or moms would follow us around the field just during the practice. This wasn't even a game trying to closely watch and even give instructions sometimes. Sure. And, and parents, listen, I'm not criticizing you, those who are listening out there. I'm just asking you to maybe take a take a look and listen of what we're talking about here and, and potentially make an adjustment and, and see how that feels because I, I can tell you this, and John, you'll agree, that your, your children will appreciate it. 
No, no doubt. Yeah. Exactly right. So it's a question of communication. It's a question of communication and, and, and saying that letting the parents know um, how we can reach our goals together. And 99% of the parents I've worked with, even a higher percentage than that, will be very gracious with you and just communicate with them like adults and say, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Would you be open to this? John, when did it click? So your journey in college was with baseball, but we go back to those early years and then we fast forward a little bit. When did sports or especially maybe when did baseball start to click for you? Was there a certain moment? Was there a certain season, a coach? What was it? Probably, I think when I was in first or second grade, when we'd go to recess, that bell would ring for the 10, 15 recess and you saw how much energy kids had to run outside and play and compete and be part of something that was joy based, kid based. We made our own we did, we ran our own games, the teachers stood down. Something powerful about that and we got to get dragged back into school to do math and there was something in my mind that said, you know, I I, I prefer to be in the world of fitness and sports and recreation. I, I don't prefer to be in the world of mathematics and trying to figure out why baking sort of bubbles. I, it just didn't interest me. I, I found that to be something I didn't find interest in. And I think one of the keys to life is finding what you're interested in, finding what you're good at, and then most importantly, finding how to serve others with those tools. Mm. You can figure out those three things. You know, you got a nice little opportunity, but you got to ask, what do you like? And most people, when they go eat lunch at work, they rarely eat. What they, they try to find something they really like to eat. They don't just eat whatever they, is in front of them. They say, no, I want to go get this particular type of food for lunch because it's important to them. But they're at a job that they fundamentally don't really want to have, have a connection to. Mm-hmm. And that, so that I'm always interested in why not just eat, you know, unflavored oatmeal every day. You're doing a job that's like apparently like that to you, but you won't really connect with your roots. And, and maybe it's financial. There's family pressures. There's practical pressures of bills. I understand that. But that's just the, the current thing. You have to look back at the hundred steps that led you to that job, and say, "Where did I? Where did I get off? What did I enjoy as a child and, and an adolescent that made me passionate, and gave me lit my inner fire?" So uh, you have what I call solar motivation, which is you do not need to get, and uh, you know, just the exposure to your passion energizes you. You do not need to get quote motivated to go to work or motivated to go do what you love. It comes so natural to you because it's part of your passion, your soul. We have that as little children. We lose it as we grow up because society sends us so many different messages. And sometimes the people we love the most send us these messages, which is you should be doing something else. You should be doing this. You could be doing this. You're so good at that. This will make more money. The word should, uh, I try to use that as little as I can because it, it's, a very, it's a very provocative word and loaded word. But if you if you observe, I'll give you a challenge. Anybody that wants to change their career out there is listening to this podcast. Go observe a um, a, rec- a recess at a public school and ask the principal, can I observe recess for, for half an hour? And and observe the kids ages 3 and 4 up to 12. Very, very few kids in that playground will not be following something they want to do. They're not bored. They're engaged. They're happy. They're smiling. They have their friends. They're doing their, their whatever activity they want. And then you go watch. You go watch a high school recess. Ask the principal to go observe a high school lunch lunch area. Maybe a couple of kids playing soccer, something physically. But a lot of the kids are just sitting around talking because they've lost that passion, and they, they don't necessarily. They're like, I, I, I'm in some ways blunted by the regimen of the machine. I'm just going to sit still and just, and just wait till the next class starts. Whereas when they were six or seven, they're like, I have 30 minutes to play. I'm going to maximize the entire time. 
That's right. And that, you, know, you find it's anyway. As a child, I decided I decided to follow um, what I really wanted to do, and and it wasn't. It certainly wasn't mathematics and teachers threatening me to say, "Well, if you don't do this, learn this math, you're not gonna you're gonna have problems later." That that turned out to not be true. Yeah, that is that's they, powerful. They were wrong. Very they, powerful. They were wrong. Yeah. Very, yeah, really powerful, John. And, and I can I can feel I can just feel our listeners on the edge of their seats right now. You've captured their attention, and I do want to clarify something because I, I I'm not hearing you, you know go, you can't do math. Don't go do math. Don't do that. All I'm hearing is that there there are there is passion inside of us. So of course you went to that math class. You may not have been fully engaged, and 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 just like some people aren't engaged in sports or in, in other uh, desires that that others share. So it really is about that solar motivation. I really like that term solar motivation which creates that passion and it's natural it's ingrained in us and i challenge i challenge everybody out there that when they do feel it it doesn't matter what age or situation you're in it it really the the only thing that stops you from going ahead and and leaving that dry oatmeal behind is taking that step and, and realizing that fear fear is probably the only thing because you can find that passion, and you know what it is when you when you hit it. And John, you've just nailed it. Solar motivation going to be up on our website shortly, yeah. and that is a good transition right now because I'm actually going to now take this conversation. We're going to go to the other end of the spectrum. We talked a lot about success, growing up, some of the fun moments you've had. John, failure, failure. Talk to us about a yeah. time in those early years when you failed. What was that moment, and what did you ultimately learn from that experience? Well, my first setback, you know, I flunked first grade, um, and the teacher, after about a month, I just couldn't sit still. I was distracted. I was, you know, looking out the window. I, I was very social. I loved, I, I loved to play, but I wasn't able to um, sit still and, and be a mainstream learner. And um, and they sent me back to kindergarten. I said, John has to go back. He's not ready. So a month later, I went back to kindergarten. So I had to repeat kindergarten, and it really was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I loved it. I didn't want. I didn't want to leave kindergarten. I didn't. I found. Uh, I'm more of a Montessori, free form, exploratory learner, and I found school to be very, very regimented and, and stunting of my what I felt like were my strengths. And just like there's a boy in that class that was a, that was a math fanatic and science fanatic, that's his thing, and 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 he ought to be able to explore that ad nauseum. It just wasn't. It wasn't my thing, and so that was the first time I failed. And I, I failed along the way. I struggled in, um, you know, other classes in school. I, I, I thrived in other classes. I was I was a very strong artist, and I liked to paint and sculpt, and that stuff came very natural to me. But it, I just the notion of um, trying to figure out uh, numbers with little letters. But I found algebra to be a bizarre, perverse experiment for students, and I, I just said I'm not going to do it. And I, so I started to fail those classes repeatedly. I, I, I was socially promoted uh, through the math classes and, D, and DC public schools, and I graduated with a you know very average grade point average. But I had strong creative skills and strong leadership skills and strong play skills. I was a very very motivated athlete and student. I didn't drink or use drugs in high school. I didn't miss practice. I never missed a game in high school or college or professional because I was injured or late. So I was a very dedicated. In what I loved, I had a strong reaction. I said, "I don't want this in my life. I have no value for this particular." And, and I'm not advising others to do that, Robbie. People got to make their own choice in this world. But um, you know, in my business now, I have a very, very strong, talented accounting and bookkeeping team. And those those people who run that part of my company are highly talented at math and numbers. That's just not my particular passion. Mm. 
But failure is getting cut. Uh, I was cut. I was I was cut from uh, at least fifteen different teams. How many? About fifteen. Fifteen over the years. Yeah, and I, I, for one season, the nineteen eighty eight season, I didn't play the entire season. I sat on the bench the entire season. I didn't play one inning. So you know, and, and it's those types of experiences where you say, uh, "Why am I doing this? What is this? Is this path going to lead to light?" Because it seems very dark right now. But you have to say, um, "Am I putting the time into practice?" There, there are obviously better players in front of me. Let's be, let's get real about that. And my time will come. But when my time comes, I must be prepared. And that, that might mean a year from now. But for students that don't get cut regularly, don't ride the bench regularly, they're not putting themselves in, 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 in uh, conditions where they're being they're really challenging themselves. Every athlete ought to have an experience where they're the worst player on a team and and the best player. If you can not play for an entire season and also win an MVP in your career on a team, you you you, put, you not only have pushed yourself but you've also performed. Most of us find ourselves in a comfortable middle. Mm. We're never really the MVP, and we never are the worst player on the team. I really remember sitting and watching the entire season go by, and all that you know that that failure and setback, um, I think, is is motivation to keep practicing. And then when you finally get your opportunity, it means more to you, and, and hopefully you can relax and perform. That's the hard part. But many of us can't perform when the opportunity finally comes because we're so anxious. But through breathing and a, a, a deep, deep understanding that I did the best I could. One of my core philosophies was in practice. I, I told myself you're the worst player in the world, and you must practice as such because you're, you're professional and, and baseball life depends on it. But once the game started, I practiced so hard. Once the game started and I finally put, got on the field, I, was, I, I allowed myself to, be, to surge with confidence and say I'm the, not only the best player on the field, I'm the best player in the world. And allowed me to relax and dominate. It would be like playing tennis against a two-year-old. He said, "There's no way this kid can beat me." Mm-hmm. But when you're practicing, you must say, "I'm practicing against the best player around, getting destroyed all the time." You must have that pendulum, and you, and the pendulum must swing at the right time. Because if, it, 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 if it's reversed, you're gonna have problems. Yeah. But many times, athletes don't think they're the best player on the field. Yep. Then they perform. They perform with anxiety and and attention uh, because they themselves say, "You know what? We both know uh, we're not the best player out here." Yep. That swagger and confidence has to be there in the game, not in practice. Well, that's it's very insightful, and you provide us with a lot of lessons there of failure and how you use that. You know, you're a humble guy, but obviously there are some accomplishments that you've had that have clearly come out of some of those failures. The next time, who are you, nation? Whatever you're doing, whether it's work, trying out for a team, whether it's going to manage a team, if you think of yourself as kind of the worst player or worst business person in the world while you're practicing it doesn't mean you look that way it doesn't mean you feel that way but inside mentally boy are boy are you preparing to shine once those lights go on and i i I like that so john we're starting to get into the zone here and i want to take this opportunity to ask you a few incredibly important questions that directly speak to the life lessons of sports team player john what is a team player and what are the characteristics you look for in a team player they have to have the three e's energy enthusiasm, and the most important one, empathy. A team player plays his position well, minds his own business, celebrates other players' success, and is empathetic to make sure that everyone on the team is being treated fairly. It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. And you must perform. And and a team player often doesn't even need to be someone who plays in the game. Sometimes the team player is the one, the understudy who pushes the starters. That that can often be the captain of the team, mm. but the captain of the team is the one that that, that cares about 
the team's welfare, celebrates it, and and makes sure that there's fairness involved, so nobody's getting a short end of the stick. Whether it's after a team meal, where you go, where, are you are you are you trying to push the front to get the food? Or are you going to wait on the back? Are you the kind of person that that when you don't start, you you say, hey, I'm going to still shake people's hands and score a run? It's hard to do that. Being a team player is difficult, and it's a very difficult thing to do because the emotions of sports and business run so high. But ultimately, in business, it might mean you write a note to somebody and say, wow, there's a great presentation you gave the other day. I found that very interesting. That was awesome. Or say, hey, hey, you're new to the company. Why don't you come join us for lunch tomorrow? Those type of things, um, you find a, a, an employee who's it's raining out. It's late at night. Say, would you like me to call a cab for you and wait until the cab comes, even though you yourself have to be somewhere else? Well, the bottom line is wherever you have to be is not as important as that person making sure they get safely home who's new to the company. Mm-hmm. And those type of little small, other, what I call other-centered actions are what, over time, uh, make, you, make you the team captain, whether you wear the C or not. Right. In every organization or team or family, there, there's someone that say, when, when it's all said and done, we, we know that person is our leader because they, they care the most about the welfare of the group. Just right. like in a lion pride, the, 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 there's a lion, a, we know that's the leader. When it's, when it's all said and done, that's the one that has, that's going to take care of it when the chips are down. Mm-hmm. But some of us, some of us, uh, we thought we 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 don't we're not able to to, to conjure the, the the requisite empathy to truly engage a group of people on a consistent basis. And by that, I mean almost yeah, do it regularly. Yep. And that means taking the time to write notes, make positive comments, check any negativity at the door. The first thing a team player does is check any negativity they may have at the door. A team team player can never be negative. You might say you might offer a, a constructive criticism in private, but wanton negativity is a uh, is a is a form of, of emotional toxic mold. Hmm. Wow, it's powerful. And, and the three E's so easy to remember. First of all, yep. and you know what I love about that, John, is everything you just mentioned right there. I didn't hear the fastest, the best, the strongest, the smartest. I heard three things that, if you're aware, are 100% in your control. You control these things. Everybody who's listening out there right now, you have to understand when you look in the mirror, you're in control of your energy, your enthusiasm, your empathy. If you aren't aware of this, you need to start being aware, and that is exactly what a leader and team player is. And, and uh, John, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to follow up with that. Is that is there anybody, anybody in your life that exemplifies this definition? I mean, my mother, you know, my father, sister Lenore, I have friends, you know, you, for instance, uh, R.J. Johnson, Dan Thorner, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the principals I work with, Patrick Pope, many, many people. Yeah. I mean, many, many, many people. I'm a believer in the Dalai Lama's quote that says everyone's doing the best they can in their current state of enlightenment. But some people have had so much life experience, they're more a little bit more enlightened, and they're so engaged in other people's lives. You know, my wife is like that. My mother-in-law is like that. And it's almost incomprehensible that my mother-in-law and I would have a conflict. She's such an encouraging, gracious person to me. That I consider it a, you know, like an, an honor to have her in my, in my life because she's so gracious and, and loving. And, like, my mom's like that to my wife. And I think that's a, a very, very valuable tool in life, to ask the person next to you, how are you doing? What's your biggest problem? How can I help you? You know, the five words, how can I help you, really are a, are a game changer in the way you speak to people. 
And it doesn't mean you're able to deliver what you what you say. If they say, "Well, how can I help you?" Well, I need a, a, I need this. Well, I'm not able to deliver that, but I can give you a little bit of help if it's possible. So not only doesn't mean a, a, a automatic yes, but it's an interest in hey. So I, I always ask business people, "What's your biggest problem? What are you working on right now? What's your biggest hurdle?" And some will give you a very quick, specific answer. Others kind of give you a vague answer. Like, I don't know. I said, well, there's got to be something. If you don't have a current problem, I mean, how high are you shooting? It goes back to getting cut. I got cut three times in a month in 1989. And the fourth team that I got kept for, the GM and the team and I are still lifelong friends. And the other ones, it's like it led you to an open door. But you have to put yourself in a position where they say, you know what, I don't think you're good enough. We don't want you. On, we don't have a spot for you. But you get to the point where it's not. It's not a personal failure. It's a, it's a view of that's that's that that's that coach's view of reality, which may or may not be right. But it may be right. He may be right. You're not good enough. I mean, I had many many coaches tell me that you're just not good enough, John. Others said, yeah, you know what, you are good enough for this team. But you have to you have to find that energy. You also have to surround yourself with people that are, that are not dream stealers, that do not serve haterade, and are very, very focused on the other people's lives around them. When you give and share, it comes back to you uh, not only ten times, but often a hundred times. So those people will remember you the rest of their lives. I just read a book called What Do You Stand For? And it, a lot of it was about people that had, they had interacted when they were younger who were very encouraging to them. It's like a, a, a almost a cornerstone in their emotional lives growing up, and so that's what I try to do. If I if I could be any any type of coach, it would be somebody that a player would say, "John, you know, you coached me 30 years ago. You don't remember it, but you know, it meant a lot to me. Those encouraging words you gave me, and the, and the technical instruction you gave me. And, you know, you're always so positive and encouraging, and so yeah, I use that in my everyday life now. That's all that matters. The, the wins and losses are are really really. Um, Transitional, often, often, um, you know, vaporizing ex- uh, experiences. Uh, but the the relationships and the encouragement you get from a coach and the technical skills you get truly prepare you for life's uh, biggest game, which brings curveballs that really buckle your knees. I mean, the, the challenge of sports is dwarfed by what life brings us. That's right. That's right. John, join me with a challenge right now, and then I need a definition from you on what you just said. I'm challenging all of our listeners out there today, tomorrow, this week. Make it a habit. How can I help you? Such five key words, John. Those are going right down, right into my wallet. I'm going to look at that every day. How can I help you? And like you said, not always maybe potentially there to do something, but I'll bet you you could point them in the right direction. And what a great phrase right there. And then I need you to define something that kind of got snuck in there, and a lot of people probably just scratched their head. Did you did you say the word haterade? Yeah, haterade is something that people serve, and it's it's – it's often uh, flavored with sarcasm, uh, cruelty, bitterness, their own emotional baggage from their own childhood, and uh, it's sometimes seen as a form of wittiness. And I, I'm of Irish descent. I'm originally of African descent, but my, my people stopped in Ireland for several hundred years and came to America. Who knows where we're going next? But <laughs> the Irish, the Irish wit tells us that you don't need to be witty at someone else's expense or use the cheap forms of sarcasm and bitterness and cruelty. Irish wit makes everyone in the room laugh. And when you serve haterade, uh, you are, are, are uh, at the at best demonstrating you 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 are you are a, you are a amateur wit. At worst, you're being cruel. 
Yep. And cruelty has no place in our society. It has no place. And yep. the first person we're often cruel to is ourselves. Uh, when we wake up in the morning and say, you're not good enough. You're not going to make it today. This isn't going to work out. It's not going to happen. That person is not going to call you back. They don't think you're good. And then we, we, we instead, of, instead of eating it, we give it to somebody else Say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve this to you. So don't, pour, don't give yourself haterade. Then it's easier not to go to other people. But if you're not the most, po- if you're not the most positive, encouraging person you know, uh, take the challenge and try to be. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you're being fake. Everybody, it might mean saying, you know what, hey, I really appreciate that. Thank you. That was great. Hey, you know what, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, taking care of that for me. And when you slow down and serve other people, it allows you to reflect on on your own life, why we're here, how am I using my gift to help others. The best thing service does is it helps you the most because it allows you to stop and get outside your world and, and focus on someone else's life. It's one of the reasons why people have pets because it allows them to serve that's their level. That's one of the ways they connect and get outside their world. Like they serve their dog or their bird or whatever their pet is, and that's why human beings have such a deep relationship with animals. Right. Because right. animals are a lot easier to serve than human beings because it's often a one-dimensional relationship because they can't talk. They can't say, you know what, uh, I, I don't like what you're doing right now. I don't appreciate that. Human beings are such complex creatures. We have such a deep, dark memory and a, a infinite capacity to, to think and analyze. It's often complicated working with people. These are such a complex brain. So true. So true. And that's why these words, who are you listeners, hate a raid. Let's stay away from that. Let's think of the opposite. The three E's, solar motivation. I mean, John, the list is going on and on here. And I love it. I really do. It's something that it's imagery that it's going to help myself and the the hundreds of thousands of listeners out there set themselves straight. And I just, I really like it. And and since you brought it up, John, I've been meaning to figure out a way to sneak this in here during the interview. But you you mentioned your, your African and then Irish and then who knows where descent from here. John, I, I, in, in the bio, I, it, it was mentioned that you were the Irish American of the year. Can you just take a second and, and I don't want to disrupt our, our, yeah, I don't want to disrupt our pattern here because you're giving us some great stuff, but I, I need to understand how we can, how, I'm an Irish American and, and, and I want to compete in this next year. How, what, what is this all about, please? Irish American Magazine picks a handful of Irish Americans of the year, people that might have been in the news or done something interesting or what have you. Um, Michael Flatley, the star of Riverdance, was the, the, the year I, I was honored. He was the premier Irish American. He was like the ultimate, he was like the, he- the headline act. I was a merely a supporting player. Uh, but it was an honor to be named. I mean, I loved it. I've been to Ireland twice. I love Ireland. It's produced so many, so much great culture for our world. And I'm from, my family's from County Cork in the southwest coast. I'm, I'm black Irish myself. Um, but ultimately, we, the Irish, are a very reflective, melancholy, thoughtful people. And we like to read and write and do art and, and sing and think and drink and, and reflect on each other's lives and the meaning of why we're here. And, you know, Ireland's a very special place. If, if all those listeners, if you've never been to Ireland, uh, get the opportunity, you ought to take it up. It's a nice, very beautiful cultural place to visit. And, um, it was an honor to be named. It really was. Agreed. I can feel it, too, as you explain your heritage and, and, and about the, the Irish roots there. It's coming all together about your past achievements as well as your failures and how you were able to cope with those. So it, it really is coming full circle here. John, we're going to head into the timeout session. And as you know, in a timeout, we have a lot of information to provide our players, but there's just a little bit of time. So I'm going to ask for quick 
questions and answers sure. here, and we're going to go right to number one. So there are a lot of people who are athletes like yourself or educators that have started businesses that have the same amount of talent, energy, or education, but they're the ones sitting at home saying, oh, I, I could have done that. I could have started that camp, or I could have played minor league baseball for the Orioles. What's the difference between somebody like yourself who's actually just gone and done it and that person sitting at home saying, oh, I could have, I could have? Right off the bat, I think they have to stop and say, do I believe in myself? Do I truly want this? And, and do I have some technical skills to advance this dream? You know, the technical skills are there. You have to have that. You have to develop some sort of technical marketplace skill that is in tandem with your passion. Um, and I think for me personally, Robbie, it was a, it was really uh, a, deeply. I was a, I was a very solitary, devoted practicer. You know, I didn't have problems practicing for long, extended periods of time on my particular skills. And I found myself, you know, really practicing and practicing and practicing by myself, and I found joy in it. So it wasn't really work. And then lastly, you know, I, I tried to be, I tried to be sober. I wasn't a big, I wasn't a pot smoker and a drinker. I tried to hone my craft and my physical fitness in my life so I was sort of mentally very aware of what I was doing. And I was able to eat right, get my sleep. I, of course, I, I, you know, I tried to have fun along the way, but you got to say to yourself, do I, do I have the, mental and physical and spiritual makeup to really pursue this dream with full effort because if you don't you're going to you're going to invite the worst person to the party you can invite which is, is regret okay well the the ref just blew the whistle we got about 20 seconds left in the timeout period what what when were you you've already told us when you were told no you already told us when you were told no and you can't do yep. it. You've shared that yep. story with us. So tell our audience, because they're going to be told no probably in the next 24 hours, what do you do in that situation? You, you show appreciation that the person cared enough about you to tell you no. They might be wrong. You tell yourself, I'm gonna, that door is now closed temporarily. It may be open later. I'm going to get back to the drawing board with proficiency, self-confidence, sobriety, passion, heart, guts, self-belief service to others and say tomorrow I'm going to be a little bit better than I was today at my craft and, and, and I'm going to pray and have faith that I'll get the opportunity. Great. Sensitive question here, and I ask it because it's so often the case and the challenge, especially in our society. Has your career or endeavors ever interfered with your personal or family life? And if so, what would your advice be not only to yourself but to others on how to maintain that balance in those relationships? Um, it, it hasn't. It, I, I haven't had that problem. I think I, I've had friends and family, you know, be very, very helpful to me and supportive. Uh, but it changes. I mean, m money and and success and 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 you know, if you have some some chance to have some opportunity, that can often disrupt family and friend the family friend dynamic. Um, I think you got to find. You just got to say, am I am I being a, am I being an honest, gracious friend to my family and my friends? And am I true to my word? And am I am I living by my values? And am, am I man enough to say I'm sorry when I make a mistake and I'm responsible for that and be accountable and be gracious. You can do that consistently. I mean, everyone makes mistakes and makes bad decisions, but uh, doubling down on humility, grace, and, and, and asking for forgiveness and, and giving forgiveness to people. You, know, you can't ask forgiveness if you don't give forgiveness. True. It's a two-way street. Very Forgiving true. people is hard because they hurt you. And they just, you know, in your mind, like that was very, and, and you know, we often don't know the motive of why they hurt us. Uh, but forgiveness frees us to let us move on to the next focus, which is the next person or the next project, the next passion. 
but ultimately, when you hear the word no, my, uh, you know, uh, I go deaf when I hear no, but I appreciate that the person took the time to say, you know what, it's not going to happen. The answer is no, we're not going to go this direction. And then you have to say, I'm going to be patient, double down, and realize that another person in the world got very, very bad news that day, and whatever news you got, probably not that bad. Well, and this... maybe you weren't, maybe you weren't good enough. Maybe you need to practice more. I tell my players frequently, uh, I need, I need you to practice more, become better at what you're doing before you're going to play. Yep. There's well, nothing wrong with that. Well, what There's I... nothing wrong with saying that. What I appreciate about you, John, as a coach, as a person, as a player back in the day of how candid you are and any time that you're being told something is to actually think about it. Uh, not necessarily the no's, yep. but to, yep. to, to try to learn from what these comments right. are and understand them as opposed to right. being so reactionary and, and bitter right. about them. So that's, right. that's great. Hey, listen, I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you. No, definitely. It's, it's an honor to have you on here as the guest. We have two quick sessions left here. One's called right. Overtime. Overtime is my favorite part of the show we really get to get deep down and find out who you are who is john mccarthy yep. and we uh-huh. never know what's going to happen here so you ready to have a little fun hit me Perfect. hit me with your best shot you got it so i just handed you a baseball bat put you in a major league uniform and you are walking up to the plate to face that pitcher what is the song playing over the loudspeaker as you walk to the plate john uh probably the first record I ever bought uh I was eight years old and i was at state college pennsylvania visiting my buddy whose dad was a professor there and i bought earth wind and fire in september first record I ever bought intimidating to the pitcher no doubt i can i can tell that is that's a good answer there i'm going to download that as soon as we're done here um if i took everything away from you right now john and that doesn't mean family but if i took all of your professional achievements your current and past which means you're not allowed to go back to teaching and educating you can't go into mm-hmm. coaching you can't go into playing but you take all your experience and your knowledge with you what what is your next job what's that next career it's wide open as your choice next passion yep um you know good question i think my things i I always tell people when you're looking for your next job ask yourself what what do you do for free uh for your own enjoyment with passion and for me that would be you know i love golf i love tennis i love the paint um i love human beings i love animals um i can see myself working with animals I can see myself, uh, you know, being a, being a gardener, taking care of a, a, a you know a beautiful garden. Um, I'd be, I love working on my hands. I love serving. I love writing. I could I could see myself being a writer. I love to read and write. Um, so I wouldn't. I don't think I'd have a hard time. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes the words "you're fired" are one of the biggest blessings you're ever going to get in your life because it it jars you to grow in ways you you yourself weren't able to do. So someone had to do it for you by firing you. So true. So true. John, do you have a favorite sports movie? What is it? Uh, good question. Favorite sports movie? Probably Soul, Soul of the Game. Um, came, out, not, came out in uh, mid-90s on HBO. Stars Delroy Lindo as Satchel Paige. It, it covered the year 1946, uh, the conflict, the inter-African-American class conflict between Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson, and Josh Gibson. Uh, Delroy Lindo is a British stage actor. He 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 was a tour de force as Satchel Paige, and uh, that was my favorite movie. I, I really enjoyed the storylines. Uh, I have other favorite. There's so many great movies out there, but I'd say Soul of the Game. I like Remains of the Day. I love Anthony Hopkins. I, I thought him and Emma Thompson were great in that movie. Um, there's so many good ones, though. Yeah. Come on, there's so many good ones. I know. Uh, I, you know, I love I, I love uh, a movie with the three C's: conflict, character, and climax. <laughs> you have to have a, a, a the storyline has to have an apex at the end. I, I like that. I don't always like happy ending movies. I I can take movies. I saw a French film the other day called My Best Friend. 
that was uh, tremendous. Mm. Very, very good. It talks a lot about what we're talking about right now. Right, right. Well, listen, in your experiences in film and everything you've done there, I can tell that you're very passionate about movies. And we're going to have to yeah. check out that, that, that movie. It sounds like a great one with Satchel Paige yeah, there. Sure. So, yeah. so going back maybe a little bit and maybe today, and you never know, what's a, who's a fictional character from a book or a movie or a cartoon that you most related to growing up and why? Who was that one fictional character? Um, so when the first book I ever read in my life was a book called Here Comes a Strikeout. It was about two boys in Brooklyn who uh, they helped with the boy who was a very good player, and his teammate kept striking out. Bobby kept striking out, and his teammate uh, helped him with extra practice, told him to believe in himself. And it was a very, very, very poignant book for me. I really loved it. And the other one was um, the character in uh, uh, Andy and the Lion, the character where Andy saves the, the lion, jumps out of the lion cage, yep. and he escapes, and all the still in the circus go crazy and flee, and the lion goes up to the hills, and Andy was up there throwing rocks on a little walk on an adventure, and then the lion comes face to face, and Andy thought the lion was going to maul him, and the lion had got a, 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 a huge splinter in his paw, and Andy said, I, I, I can take that out. I have some tweezers. I'll take that out. And he took the lion, he took the, the um, he, he, he helped the lion. Yeah. And I, those two books were two of my very early childhood books, and then in modern literature, um, I love The Fisherman and Old Man in the Sea. I love Vito Corleone and The Godfather. There's some great characters uh, in, in literature, obviously. But those are four that come off the top of my head. Oh, that's, that's great. And, and clearly, some of those early ones really do give us a, a reason and understanding of who you are today. Oh, yeah. So thank oh, you. oh, yeah. Thank oh, you yeah. For no that. doubt. Yeah. It's very important. In literacy, the books you expose children to are very, very important because it helps shape their. I, my little goddaughter and I. Um, I have eight godchildren, uh, uh, Robbie, and I spend, eight. one of them spends eight, eight godchildren. One of them spends the summers with us. Her name is Awa from Paris, France. Okay, and her and I share a love of bookstores. I, I got her to like reading, but I would say I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going after dinner. I'll, I'll give it, get my keys. She'd say, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to the bookstore." But at first, I have to stop and get. I'm going to get an ice cream cone on the way, and she would beg to come. I say, "No, you can't come." Then I'd say, "Okay, you can come." And I would say, "But we have to stop for ice cream before we go to the bookstore." So I associated what she most wants with what one is I most want for her, which is literacy. Mm. And now she's hooked on books, so she associates books and literacy with time with me, ice cream, enjoyment, adventure. She gets to go out after dinner. It's like a big deal for a little five-year-old. Yeah. So she, we just got a book on Mandela, and she didn't understand the book the first three times we read, like a kid's book on Mandela. And now she said, they said Mandela is my hero. Because he 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 let he let African Americans and white people both go to the beach in South Africa. That was one of the little scenes in the book. That's great. That's great. And I thought that that, that that's one that'll be one of the tapestries that hangs in her early childhood memory. Yeah. Well, I was very special to uh, as are the other seven godchildren of yours. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I'm that, not done, Robbie. I'm I, not I, done. I, I can I, tell. I can tell you. I can all, take on more. I, I Let's mean, do more. Yeah, it's, we just have a couple questions left, though, John. I know you do have a busy day. You are a human gardener. To yeah. take your words, there's a lot to do today. I know there's a lot of people to help both you and they can help give back as well. So I'm going to ask a couple more questions here. We're going to let you go. Is there a favorite charity you'd like to acknowledge or? or somewhere that we could visit and, and potentially uh, either learn more about or give? Well, there's so many good ones. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very fond of the Gray Sisters of the Immaculate Conception up in um, Pembroke, Ontario. They do really heroic work around the world. Um, but there's so many good ones. I mean, there's so many good ones. I, I would say 
you know, talk to your local community leaders and you are say what projects and programs are, are doing good stuff and putting their money on the street and doing it doing it right. But the Great Sisters are uh, they're very heroic to me. Great. Well, well, who are you nation at whoareyousports.com. We will have all of the links and references to our interview today with John. So please check it out and definitely check out the sisters there and see if you can make a contribution. I know John would appreciate it. John, you're the host of the show. Who's the one person right now, if you're sitting in my seat, that you would invite, somebody who's alive, somebody we could get on here and have on this show to learn life lessons and their experiences? Who would that be? Um, wow, such a good question. Um, I had a chance to visit with Sharon Robinson, Jackie's daughter, the other day, and we had a nice long talk. But her brother, David, we talked about her brother, David. David Robinson is Jackie's youngest son. He lives in Tanzania, in East Africa, and he has eight children. And he married a young woman from, from a small village eight hours north of Tanzania, of, of Dar es Salaam. And Sharon said that Jackie, that the, the son is most like the father, that his, he, he has the father's intensity and, and outlook and deep social consciousness. I would say Jackie Robinson's youngest son, David, who now is, uh, he, he organized the coffee growers in Africa, and he's trying to get the Tanzanian coffee growers on the world market. Wow. That, that, that's where I'd like to say. I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in his worldview. I mean, here's, here's a guy who's an American hero. His father's an American hero. In many ways, uh, I mean, just like an iconic American. And, you know, without Jackie Robinson, there's no way there's Barack Obama. There's no Martin Luther King without Jackie Robinson. It's just that simple. I mean, Martin Luther King said that. And I would say, how, what, what led you to leave America and go live in a very small village and help organize um, these coffee growers? It seems like a very, very uh, interesting life he's leading. So that's who, I, that's who I'd go with. I'd go, I'd go right there. Yeah, I'd, 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 go right to, I'd go right to Jackie's son. I think David would be perfect at Who Are You Nation. I'm sure uh, they'll be anxious to see if we can't get him on the show. So thank you for sharing that. John, You're it's welcome. been an honor and privilege to speak with you today. John, congratulations. Thanks, you have officially been inducted into Who Are You Nation. Welcome to the team, my friend. Hey, honor to be on the team. Happy to be here. I'm a fan. Congrats on the uh, podcast growth. Uh, keep it up. Anything I can do to help, I'm a phone call away, and it's an honor to be here. And all the fans out there of uh, Who Are You Nation, God bless you, and have a great day today. And uh, it's been an honor visiting with you. Great. Well, I do have two more favors for you, because you know what happens when you're officially inducted and welcomed into the Who Are You Nation. Well, we started the show off asking if you had your game face on. You're going to have to send us a picture of your game face so all of our dedicated listeners can visit whoareyousports.com and see what John McCarthy's game face actually looks like. And from what I've heard in this interview, there may be 15 to 20 or 30 game faces that you have. So are you going to do that for us, John? I'll send you. You want me to send you an email? That- uh, yeah, we'll take care of that after the show. But I, that's, <laughs> I can't wait to get that up. It's going to be great. Now, last question before I let you go. This is where we go deep. This is where we go behind the scenes. This is where we open the door. I need a story. I need one of those exclusive moments in your life that you're comfortable sharing, whether it was a conversation with somebody, somebody you bumped into. It was just one of those memorable moments. As a, it could be a superstition you had. It really could be anything, John. Whatever it may be, give it to us, John. What is it? And I extend my hand and say, hey, Hoyt, it's great to meet your partner. It's, uh, I'm a knuckleballer, too. It's an honor to meet you. And he, he was so gracious and humble. He's a Hall of Famer. He's very, very gentle and gracious. And he had spent 10 years. He's one of the only Hall of Famers that spent 10 years in the minor leagues. And he is the only Hall of Famer that was traded seven times and cut four times during his career. And Hoyt was so nice to me. And he said, uh, 
He said, hey, if you ever want to practice, uh, let me know. Who are you, Nation? Our guest is ready to go inside the locker room. Are you? Gain exclusive access to the story as well as those from all of our guests. Visit whoareyousports.com where there is a page dedicated especially for all of our listeners at Who Are You Nation. Until next time, please remember both in sports and in life that it's not all about the scoreboard so much as it is about our dedication to becoming a better teammate, healthier person, and adopting an efforts over results mindset.